What's up, party people? Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com or on iTunes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast of the hit FX show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with... Co-host, Chris Husted. Hello, everyone. What's going on, buddy? What are you drinking this evening? I am uh, drinking uh, an ice-cold Corona. What are you drinking? Ideal for the middle of winter. <laughs> <laughs> it's left um, over from the football game I watched uh, this weekend. There you go. I'm finishing off my Christmas beer reserve. So I'm drinking a Santa's Private Reserve from Rogue Ales, straight out of Oregon, here in Cincinnati. So a little bit, a little taste of home. Yum. Yum. Fantastic. <clears throat> now... Um, before we dive in, there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about. First, as always, I want to remind you to um, send questions or comments to thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com, and you can always comment on our Facebook page. Also, go to iTunes and leave us a review or give us a comment, give us criticism. We like to hear all of that. Um, we want to say that we really appreciate all the uh, input we've gotten so far as what to, what to do next after the show ends, because keep in mind, next week is our finale for this uh. season of American Horror Story. It's sad. It's gone by so fast. Um, so right now what our plan is, is there's a lot of people that seem to be interested in the show, the following, um, it premieres next Monday evening. Um, so what we're, our plan is to go ahead and watch the show. And if it seems like a good show, we're going to podcast about it next week. So I encourage you all to go watch it too and see what you think. And hopefully, uh, Kevin Bacon can give us a prime performance. I'm thinking, uh, just as good as his performance in Friday the 13th. That's what we're aiming for. So hopefully we can get something equatable. Um, Now, let's get started on the episode. Um, I want to ask you first, before we really dive into things, what did you think of the format? The way that we kind of had these four separate narratives. Did that drive with you? I liked it. I thought it was pretty awesome. I like it, it, it's kind of a literary device that a lot of uh, authors use. So it was cool to have uh, kind of chapters from one person's perspective, right? But I loved how... We got them in order, but then eventually they all started kind of intertwining the, the story arcs with each other as we're prog- progressing chronologically, too. So I was pretty happy with that. I thought it was cool. I thought it and was cool, risk. too. Yeah, it's true. It, it's actually very Game of Thronesy because if you ever, I mean, if you've read the books, each book is, a, they call it like perspective chapters, and each chapter is a different character, and you kind of follow that character's narrative, and you may run against, uh, you know, other, run into other characters who have their own perspective chapters. But that's kind of what this kind of felt like a little bit was kind of following these characters' narratives. And I thought it was, it was really cool, and it was also interesting because so much of what we've seen so far this season was splicing together everyone's story, um, you know, so close together, together you would have these kind of, little moments of a bunch of different characters stitched together in little short scenes. And so it was interesting to be able to follow every, follow everybody a little bit and kind of get just one character for a specific span of time or whatever. So, that being said, without further ado, let's talk about our buddy Kit and his polygamous family in 1967. Kit is uh, living uh, in big love. So, <laughs> what were your feelings when you saw that photo of him and his two wives and their two children? As they kind of go through the happy home. Right, I thought it was an ode to, well, it's not really an ode to Big Love, but the, the HBO show with um, um, 
oh gosh, I can't think of the actor's name right now, but um, um, oh God, Bill. I'm blanking on her name. Who was Shelley in this? Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, she was in Big Love HBO. Anyway, it's, you know, sister wives living uh, uh, in the same house, kind of, or the houses are all backed up into each other, so they share a yard. But anyway, um, you know, I thought it was a really interesting way to uh, see how he dealt with the return of Alma. I don't know. I wasn't expecting them to become one happy family. Yeah, hell, me neither. That was a heck of a surprise. And I think it was super cool the way that they kind of introduced us to that through the photo instead of diving right into them interacting together. It was right. kind of like that picture by itself said so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought they that all was... looked so healthy and happy cleaned up like that, too. <laughs> I know. I know. It was it was weird to see Grace all cleaned up and normal for a while. Um, but then what a chilling thing to go from that happy photo to Kit with the axe with a dead body on the floor, you know? Right. Um, and then you hear the child yell, Daddy, what went on? And, you know, we kind of had this juxtaposition of a, what seemed to be a happy family and obviously a very dark moment. Um, so we know that even once out of Briarcliff, you know, it doesn't mean that all the darkness goes away. Right. Um, so we kind of go from there into a little bit of a flashback into, you know, this uh, insight into the family. Grace and Alma interacting. Um, and we see Grace drawing these pictures of the aliens, what she calls like the abductors, basically. And Alma is not okay with that. Now, what did you think on kind of their different... They talk about this a little bit, the way that kind of Grace embraces or embraced like these, these aliens and Alma was terrified of them. I mean, what did, how did you think that... Was it coping mechanisms or what exactly? Absolutely. I think uh, was th- those two show a complete you know, dichotomy of how two different people... Or, uh, you know, the, the two ends of the spectrum of how you want to respond to something. One is Grace you know, accepting it, embracing it, and, like, looking toward the future, whereas uh, Alma's, like, doesn't want to acknowledge it, it didn't happen, you know, let's forget it and move on and move forward. Exactly. Um, so there are two ends of the spectrum there. Uh, and, I mean, jumping kind of forward to the bigger picture of this of this whole episode, we see every character on how they dealt with this traumatic situation that they all went through, and everyone's dealing with it differently. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, Grace ends up saying that her, that her darkness for her isn't the alien abduction at all. It's back before when she had that darkness, in cap- like when she was axe murdering, basically. Lizzie Borden. Exactly, when she pulled her Lizzie Borden moment, whereas Alma, we know that she didn't really have any terrifying, like that was the scariest thing that had happened to her in her life. And also, we know that like... She might have had some weirder stuff go on than Grace up in the alien abduction, you know, up in, with the aliens, because she was gone for longer and Grace saw her dead in that weird amniotic sack scene and right. stuff like that so maybe she had a worse experience too but clearly they are dealing with different ways and we kind of basically it seems like they're not exactly getting along perfectly no um, i loved it when uh alma's like earth to grace like, oh. <laughs> a little sassy there <laughs> yeah and so you see kit in one bedroom with alma like trying to kind of get it on and she's like you really should go talk to grace and spend more time with her so instead he goes over to the next bedroom and then talks to grace for a while and they ends up having sex with her instead and then like it's banging on the headboard, and so on the other side, you know, almost feeling it, and it's just kind of, they're kind of, de- it was interesting and very, it was an awkward, but like, it was cool how they portrayed that moment with like the adjoining wall, you know, and it was, yeah, they, that they was very much how Big Love was on HBO too, like, you're like he had a he had a schedule and he would rotate through all his wives, <laughs> yeah, very but uncomfortable, anyway. um, and then they have a like kind of a scary moment where you think the aliens might be back, but it's really just those shitty. Supposed friends of his back, yeah. Like, whether or not this has anything now to do with Alma being, you know, African-American or whether this just has to do with him being polygamous or what, we don't know. But he's still being harassed by other people. 
Um, and the policeman shows up and basically threatens to book Kit for polygamy. Polygamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you kind of, I mean, tension's clearly building, and we see... Also, great... can I, in this moment, in this whole episode, all of a sudden, at least to me, Kit's uh, Boston accent is super strong all of a sudden. It was, like, yeah. really noticeable. Yeah, like in the asylum, he was, like, I slipping. did not remember being that strong back then. It did. It kind of jumped back a little bit. I guess just being in society pulls it back out of him. Who knows? Um, I also want to comment on, like, how ridiculous and hilarious the costumes were and now that we've moved into, like, later 60s and stuff like that. Yeah, I was kind of feeling all of Kit's looks. I was like, oh, that's pretty snazzy. He had, like, the, color, the colored turtlenecks and everything like that. And, like, late 60s outfits for sure. And the music, too. The music was very, you know, they tried to definitely put that with the time. Totally. Period. Grace was looking a little hippie-ish. She was. Free spirit, which kind of graces a little bit already. Um, but kind of as this stuff goes on, the tension continues to build. Grace is teaching her baby French, and Alma looks kind of visibly annoyed because of that. Um, Alma's, or Grace ends up scaring Alma's baby with the alien pictures, kind of. And they have this whole talk about, like, you know, Grace sees the aliens as a religious experience, and Alma sees them as basically a form of hell, kind of. And this is kind of the dichotomy we've had going on in the show since the beginning. You know, what is heaven? What is hell? And we've talked about what the function of the aliens were. Were they good guys or bad guys? And we, I guess we're probably going to find out next week, really, what their purpose is. Yeah, I, I don't know how many answers we'll get, though. We did see that one interview with um, with Brian Murphy, and he basically said that he's uh, he's handling this alien situation as they handled it back then, which is not all the answers are there. It's just kind of what the people who are abducted believe. So any answers we get, I think we're probably just going to get through Kit when he figures it out. I just feel like we have to see something with the the children of Alma and um, Grace later on in life, back in you know Johnny's time period, because they talk about how they're going to be great leaders and stuff. It seems like we have to at least have a peek of them in the finale, you would think. Um, but I think it was interesting how they kind of interspersed this whole part with Kit chopping wood, you know they were cutting to him chopping wood out there. What did you? What was the effect of that? They did a good job of uh, building tension, I think, in the house. You could see, like, they first start off, and it seems pretty happy family. With you know, us keeping aside that first moment where you see Kit with the axe and the blood, you know, when they when we come into the flashback, they're very happy, things are working, and then you can see there's a little bit of tension between Grace and Alma, and then. You know, you they they use a lot of uh, shots of like uh, uh, Alma with the knife when she's cutting the vegetables and Kit mm-hmm. chopping the wood. So scenes like that to remind us that there are some dangerous things looming around. Um, I thought that was kind of what it what it uh, uh, tried to uh, convey through those images. I agree with you, and I also think that like since we had already seen that axe before and knew what the axe was going to do later, that only added to the tension of seeing him cutting the wood while the family's kind of slow, like you can see the right. tension between Alma and Grace rising so much is like trying to lead us to believe that Kit's gonna kill someone maybe right and that's kind of what they made it look like at the beginning I mean is that what you thought that's what I thought when I first saw Kit with the axe I that absolutely he killed thought someone. that yeah mm. yeah um, and so this whole episode kind of or this section kind of culminates with Kit waking up you know he's awake next to Alma she's asleep and he wanders out in the living room where Grace is once again drawing aliens and she kind of gives him this whole speech about how she doesn't want to waste her life anymore. And Right. I, I wrote a few things down that she said. Um, yeah, she doesn't want to live in fear and isolation, which is what she was living with in Briarcliff. Mm-hmm. And I saw a little par- some parallels there. And she said the future's coming. Yeah. You know, we need to embrace it. And, of course, the irony and then being... what happens? <laughs> the irony being that all of a sudden Alma plows an axe into her back. 
Um, and which I thought obviously another ironic moment because Grace killed. That's how she got right. Rockcliffe in the first place was killing people with an axe. Now, so what was your? I mean, that kind of seemed out of character for Alma. Was that like just was that her going crazy or was it? I mean. I think the the possibility that the aliens had come back, even though it wasn't the aliens. This is, by the way, this is the first episode where we have no aliens, monsters, or demons at all. This is just strictly humans, um, yeah. and it was probably one of the more scarier episodes because this season hasn't been very scary, just disturbing more so. But this one, I was you could I, I was getting scared. Um, but back to why she did that, I think that whole possibility that the aliens could come back, and that they almost did or she thought they almost did, freaked her out enough that sent her into her, you know, descent into madness, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. What did you think? Yeah. I I mean, it it seemed out of character for Alma, who kind of generally had seemed like a very nice, kind-hearted person, but I can't think what it was showing, basically, is that, like, this alien episode for her was so disturbing that having Grace talk about it all the time and draw the pictures was, like, literally haunting her with it constantly, and she just couldn't live with that anymore, you know? Even if, whatever the consequences may be, even though she'd kind of gotten back to a normal life, she just couldn't live with that haunting her all the time. Right, when they, when the lights came through and we all thought it was the aliens, you know, she just broke she was huddling, shit shaking, and Grace was the one that was in there. It's like, get the kids. Obviously, we know why, because Grace embraced the aliens and wanted, said they were going to come back anyway. And so, so quickly, Kit goes from double wives to no wives, as we see Alma gets sent to Briarcliff in the next section, which was 1968. We go back to good old sister Jude. Who I has think been this given... was the strongest section, by the way, Jude's yeah. section. Yeah. I thought it was, I mean, it was well acted, that's for sure, between her and Frances Conroy. Um, but Jude has a new name right now. It's Becky, what is it? Bet, I wrote it down. Uh, Betty Drake. Betty, Betty Drake, sorry, not Becky. Betty Drake, she's now been renamed Betty Drake. And we see her playing cards at a common table with good old friend she, Pe- Pepper, who's kind of become her... Uh, her sidekick, her, her henchman. Her, she even, I think Pepper even calls her boss at one point. Yeah. <laughs> And they're playing Candyland. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And she, she calls herself the queen of Candyland. And... She's great. But I think this the the start of this segment also shows, you know, yeah, she's in Briarcliff, but it looks like she's, you know, sane, somewhat happy. She's got friends. She's looking out for the one guy that, you know, she was telling him like to take his meds or something like that. Or that he's mm-hmm. taking too much of his meds and tells Pepper to try to get that fixed or something. So it just seems like she's content for where she is. And somewhat enlightened, you know. She's yes. she's not being no one is deceiving her anymore. She's not being, you know, pulled toward any sort of cause beyond herself. It's all about, I mean, she like like she said where she has she has clarity that she hasn't had before. She right. said that in the past episode. And even though she's you know, suffered so much, she still has been able to maintain that clarity to some degree. I also thought it was interesting that they were um, broadcasting the speech that FDR was giving of the death of MLK. Right. In this scene, what do you? Th- what was the point of that? Do you think? Um, Just setting the time period scene. Time period, possibly, also to show that. Um, you know, I don't know. Times are changing. Um, that's a, that's e- a good evil point. Still yeah. working. That's um, a good idea. Mm-hmm. I think those are both really good interpretations. Also, that Martin Luther King Jr. Day is on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just timely. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a holiday episode. <laughs> it was uh, a holiday episode. <laughs> but uh, the Monsignor comes in, and him and Jude have yet another clash. Which I mean, we've seen so many of these now, and that's when we we basically, you know, Jude says, you know, you you pretended I was dead, and I you renamed me. 
we find out that Monsignor was appointed Cardinal of New York and that he's donated Briarcliff to the state. Um, and he says that he's been arranging for her release and he's yeah. still planning to make her a believer. Right. Which she is. says the cruelest thing of all is false hope when he says that he's going to get her out. But like he just said, he's, he says, you know, I'm going to make you a believer. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at where this went, but let's continue for a minute. Um, so, Pep, I mean, there's a point where, like, Jude and Pepper are rocking out to the jukebox or something like that. and uh, The new patients enter, because this is kind of like as the state. Or, no, sorry, they're, they're not. They're um, rocking out to, like, a radio as they're making bread. And that's when we see the angel of death, a.k.a. Frances Conroy, enters with her two henchmen into the bread room. And she's not the angel of death this time. She's just another... Criminal. She's a tough thug transfer from county. <laughs> uh, tough thug would be an understatement. She's been a murderer, and she has comes in and wants to wear the pants. And she yeah. basically, she basically tells Jude that they can rule the roost together, but she's going to be the one in charge, pretty much. And Jude's just confused and freaked out because she knows this woman is the angel of death. Yeah, uh, I, I love just to, say, to discuss something superficial. Uh, Francis Conroy's look. The way she's done up is pretty awesome. I think I thought it was pretty badass. I did. She looks like I mean, she, you know, as the angel of death, they kind of have her looking a little like kind of bird like. Uh, I feel a little bit with like the makeup and stuff like that. A little bit like almost kind of black swanny if you think about it. I mean, yeah, I can see um, that for sure. And she is able to look very different while still looking similar in this role, but like her demeanor. You can just see that her demeanor is very different than it is. The, the angel of death so far has been very, kind of, for an angel of death, very gentle and sweet and stuff like that. And you kind of just see kind of the angry badass exuding from her in this. Um, but we find out basically that she, her, her and Jude are roommates. Um, but in the meantime, you know, Pepper basically warns Jude not to trust the Monsignor. And we kind of get this really cool shot again with the stairs, which they've used so much for visual effect this season where we kind of go from their conversation to kind of see how the asylum is changing because all these new um, state, uh, you know, crazy people are being ushered into the asylum. And that's where we see Alma for the first time and she's walking through the front door right there. Right. When she walks in, um, Jude says, like, oh, more souls to take care of. And then the one looks up and it's Alma. Exactly. Um, but Jude is, is rooming with the angel of death and, or, well, Francis Conroy. And... Um, <clears throat> I mean, they, we have the scene in the common room where Francis Conroy says a few words to Alma, um, and then she kills a patient. She just, like, stabs a random guy for, like... For, for He's not supposed to take his drugs, I think, and he was taking them, so she stabs him. <laughs> it was like... Because that makes sense. Yeah, it was just, like, so... I don't give a shit, I'm going to stab him, you know, I'm just... <laughs> just to prove herself, I don't know, but... After she does this, you know, Jude takes notice, obviously, and then, um, and this is one of the, like, the in this section of the story, um, or of the episode, the whole thing is flirting with um, a kiss from um, the Angel of Death, you know. Right. Um, she she blows know, the kiss to Jude after this. She yeah. blows the kiss, and the music comes in, it's like, oh god, don't catch that kiss. Um, or, like, when they're rooming together, um, when she's smoking the cigarette. And she's like, do you want to drag? I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Maybe it's like, you know, a kiss by transitory properties, you know. Don't exactly. Just... And that's what was interesting is it wasn't like the, like, it was almost like the angel of death was like trying to con Jude into a kiss or something like that. You know, it was a very, it wasn't kind of, I mean, 
It was an yeah. interesting take on it. And um, even at one point, it was like a sexual advance by the angel of death. And then she starts beating her, and everyone runs in, and it's not Frances Conroy at all. It's a completely different woman. Yeah. Um, and so they, you know, they put Jude in a straitjacket, and she's looking haggard as hell. And completely crazy at this point in time. And actually, it looks like time is... From the time she's beating up Frances Conroy to the time that she's in the straitjacket, she looks older and different. It looks like time has passed. You know yeah, what I mean? definitely haggard, totally disheveled, a mess. And this, and this is what we learn, is she's talking to a doctor, Dr. Crump. And Love Dr. That. Crump tells her that... Um, basically, that the Monsignor has been Cardinal of New York now for two and a half years. He's been gone for two and a half years. And Pepper's dead. And the, basically, this is all in Jude's head. So yeah, and this is the fifth time in two months she's beaten up her roommate. So this has happened before. So is Jude just, is Jude crazy now? Is that is she just gone nuts? Yeah, I think I think we witnessed uh, basically her mind protecting itself in the beginning and how she was living. Actually, but then again, we don't really know the timeline here. Like you know, between the Monsignor or the Cardinal telling her that he's going to get her out to when uh, the the bad the bad uh, angel of death woman shows up. That could have been, you know, two years or something. We don't really know. But basically what we do, I think, can uh, deduce from this is she has gone downhill and slipped into uh, her... She she went into her descent into madness. And we've seen Jude go through the entire process from the very beginning to being, you know, a nun in control of the place to being at the very bottom of the barrel in this asylum. And it's kind of... Just the path she's followed. She has the most... I think she has the most complete narrative of any of the characters just because she's had to go through so much transformation. Um, and she's yeah, been she fantastic. Yeah, she was down, then she was up, and then she was down again. I want, I want to go ahead and say a real shame that she did not win the Golden Globe because I think she has been a star this season. She is ab- – well, yeah, I mean they, they build the show around her, and she, I agree. She's absolutely brilliant. For the name game alone, she should get an award. Um, right. I, I will say, though, like if she is going to lose to someone, the only person on that list of nominees that maybe could give her a run for the money is Maggie Smith, who's pretty awesome herself. Yeah, I mean, she lost to another legend, so it's not yeah. like it was some young up and Some punk girl, yeah. Right. But So anyway, we kind of end this segment thinking, is so is Jude lost now? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they treat Jude in the finale. Um which is kind of what all these segments are building to is the finale. Although Kit's segment seems, I mean, that's why I think it, his segment has to do with the kids now or something like that. Because, I mean, what else is going to happen there? Well, he, I mean, we find out, I mean, he wants to take down Briarcliff for what it did to him. And right. he wants to get Jude out and he wants to do it for what it did to Alma. That's right. So let's talk about Leona 1969 for a minute here. Okay. Um, she's authored a book called Maniac, the story of one woman. Woman's or, survival. <laughs> survival. Or something. Yeah. yeah. It's a New York Times bestseller. And so she's reading this passage. For 10 weeks. A group of people. Yeah, exactly. And she's reading the passage and recounting Thredson's dungeon. And then she starts talking about a scene that we don't remember. About right. how Thredson brought another woman down to play with or something like that. When Thredson stands up in the crowd and calls her out on it. Um, and calls her a sellout. And then we see Wendy stand up in the crowd and say, You just call me your roommate. And Lana's trying to say, well, I was telling the essence of the truth here. Um, and they're saying, no, you were only interested in fame. And what we basically learn is it's like her subconscious talking to her, you know. And this, obviously this is all in her head. We know Wendy and Thredson are both dead at this point. Um, what do you think this says about the way she's been dealing with um, the, you know, the traumatic stress that she had to go through? Clearly she still has inner demons. I think there's no denying that. And it seems like 
Well, we kind of saw last episode that she was coming out a harder person. And so maybe she thought that because of all the pain she endured, she deserved something. She deserved this fame or something like that. And she had a right to bend the truth to some degree. And, you know, she... She suffered enough to not have to deal with, like it wasn't her duty to deal with Briarcliff anymore or something along those lines. So she came out kind of feeling selfish, maybe, or it, it, but now is like to some degree her subconscious is making her feel bad about it. Um, it's kind of the essence. I, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also think she's kind of she's trying to rewrite it the way she wants it to be, or she wants to remember it. Right, and kind of making herself out to be probably more of a hero than maybe yeah. she really was. But definitely, we uh, we knew this was coming. You know, we saw the you know the return of this highly ambitious drive in her that wants to make her something. And she's we see that you know originally she wanted to win a Pulitzer. She didn't want to be you know a, a New York Times bestseller. You know per se, she wanted to do good reporting. But now she basically is a you know mini celebrity. I, and it's interesting because last episode she kind of condemned herself for being all about the story and how that kind of screwed Wendy over and everything like that. Yet now she's kind of embraced the story and even so much that she's adding on her own fictional parts to it and not even paying homage to Wendy or anything like that. It's like right. I feel like we hear about these stories all the time these days too with authors doing their memoirs that are very loosely, uh, um, you know, uh, James Fry's A Million Little Pieces, right? Exactly. Stories like that where they're they're they, everyone's lying or exaggerating a little bit, but hers, yeah, she says she's staying true to her themes, like she said. But they, like yeah. you said that before, they they, they say that or uh, threads in and uh, says your your theme is fame. Yeah, exactly, and not exactly easy to fact check with everyone she's talking about dead already. Right. Um, but, but we see her being a jerk to her assistant about like yeah, I was having issues with this. Like, this girl, she thinks she's, like, Beyonce now. She's, like, fluffing her hair. She's rude to her assistant, acting like a diva, thinking very highly about herself, talking about herself all the time. Uh, you know? And we, I, and I we see... And she landed yeah. on very heavy with the acting, too. I didn't... I wasn't really... Like, we get it. She thinks she's hot shit. Yeah, not... Yeah. Ugh, I was not a fan. Maybe... I don't know if that was her acting or if it was just my disgust with her character. It was hard to distinguish between the two. Um, yeah. But we see this even more, you know, when Kit shows up for the book signing. And they go to coffee and, you know... She just talks about herself. Like, did you see me on TV? Shut oh, up. I, I sold my film rights to Hollywood. Who should play me? You oh, know, yeah, it's Tuesday like... Tuesday World or whatever? Yeah, God. Ugh. It's like... It's like she's not... A, she's ignoring or pretending the horrors didn't happen or you know, something along those lines. Um, yeah, and she's just talking about herself and she's talking about doing a book about Crazy Santa, our good friend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Season three. Lee. Season three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but how she's found her voice. Uh, um, did you hear that, that quote she said, though? Which one? She's like, the way, you know, I did it the way Capote did it with In Cold Blood. I found That's my right. voice. Oh, that's right. That's that right. just made me sick because that is like one of my favorite books of all time. But don't you dare compare yourself to him. And he never wrote again after that because it was so jarring and moving to him. He was so disturbed with that whole and so invested in that story. She's not. She's just trying to make a book. And Kit makes a comment about well, there's a difference between being a reporter and a chief celebrity. And she kind yes. of takes offense to that. And, and she talks about how she spun straw into gold. And she's just so up on her high horse. It's ridiculous. She- she loves herself. Do you think that this, I mean, we talked about this um, in last episode, but a commentary from Falchuk and Murphy on uh, on journalism? 
I she had okay. Um, I'm trying to remember where she said it, or maybe it was maybe. I feel like she says something else later too that was relevant about it. But yeah, she. she I mean, it does it. It's not putting it in a positive light. That's for sure. You know. Yeah, um, I mean, they it basically they're um, accusing a lot of journalists or reporters to that they're sensationalizing things to sell more copies. Well, and there's you know there's clearly a lot of talk about that now with 24 hour news networks and stuff like that. Maybe that's what they're commenting on with kind of this figure Lana has become. Right. Um, she's embracing her inner vulture. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, pretty awesome hair right now. Yeah, good lord. Um, I mean, you know, but you know, Kit tells her about Alma being he's you know because she's saying how everyone at Bradcliffe is just crazy, and he's saying, "Well, my wife's there," and so we t- we kind of get this scene about Kit going to Bradcliffe and just how gross Bradcliffe has gotten now that the state has control of it. You know, um, Alma says maybe he could bring the kids in, but then they look around and a guy pulls out his catheter, and somewhere else there's just like people having sex in the corner, Two people humping in the corner. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just like and she's like, "Well, I guess you can't bring the kids." <laughs> Looks like um, a party. And then we find out that Alma dies, and she looks all nasty and crusty, and they don't really know why she dies. And They just said her heart stopped, right? Yeah, and maybe she just couldn't bear to live anymore between the aliens and kind of the horrible place Barcliffe was. And, and we get to see this because um, Lana was like, you know, all the lunatics there, and, he, and Kit's like, hey, hold up. And he's and yeah. We assume this is Kit relaying to Lana what happened, right. and he ends it by saying that he failed Grace and Alma, and Alma, yeah. and, and he's going to make it right. And so that's kind of it's, that makes sense why he took this time to go and reach out to Lana because he's thinking she's you, his tool to make it right, and they're going to go save Jude. And he tells Lana that Jude's still alive. Right. Right. Um, and we have that little scene where Jude well, is yeah, just that, crazy love, watching love, that. Okay, so before before that happens. Um, you know, he's like basically accusing her of like not following through with her promise to take down Briarcliff. And, you know, she basically just, she says something like things change and people change. And, you know, that's also kind of a theme in this about how people change, like Jude becoming crazy, Alma becoming crazy, Kit, you know, trying to put his life together. But, um, once, once he tells her about Alma, she's like, you know, how are we going to be able to do this? You know, everyone's gone, but us. And he's like, nope, there's one person left. Yeah, and then we, yeah. And then this is the scene you're talking about where Kit runs into Jude, and it, that's a great scene. Wow! And she's just lost. She's watching that TV and watching the nuns on the TV fly, the with the hats. <laughs> yeah, and she says something about the devils inside, and she's like got these, you know, little fragments of the past, but she just seems lost. Yeah, she's basically like accusing. I, if and I, I'm pretty sure this is right, but Sister Bertrill, which is Sally Field's character. What was that? Is that what that movie is? Is that a movie called The Flying Nun? Is that it was a TV show? It was a TV show, and um, basically she accuses her of stealing her hat and (laughs) says that she's going to get that back and she's going to fly out of her ass out of here or something. (laughs) (laughs) I would say. (laughs) I didn't even know about that show. That's funny. Um, Yeah, but Briarcliff is just a mess and disgusting. And he's going to try to get Jude out of there. And Lana says she didn't know. Um, but she, Lana still doesn't seem to want to do anything. And she says, I'm as hard as I have to be. <laughs> like, yeah, she's, that's probably how she's, you know, she's responded and dealt with, you know, recovering from the whole sh- story uh, in Briarcliff. 
So she kind of leaves us wondering what exactly she's going to do, if anything. But we do know she's having subconscious issues, so maybe this would resolve them if she does finally stop being selfish and this will redeem her a little bit. So maybe that's what we have to consider here. But we have a very cool transition where Kit goes out to his car, gets in the car, and we kind of have a time jump here. That was a cool shot, too. It starts kind of upside down and like the camera kind of swings around and turns right side. And then what do we see? Our boy Johnny in the car. Uh... He's smoking weed again, listening to some badass like music. You know, actually, now that I, I looked at that scene, it might actually be crack. Because <laughs> the first okay. time it looked like he was like lighting a bowl, kind of. But this one looked like he was lighting it. Unless the the um, the the place where you put the weed is in the front, um, it, it might have been a crack pipe. Actually, it so. might have been crack. <laughs> For his character, I feel like that would make more sense. It but would, yeah, yeah. Who smokes weed and wants to go kill people? Come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit more energy than he would have otherwise. So, uh, Johnny I, needs I wouldn't to put smoke crack more weed. My, well, yeah, he needs to calm the hell down. Um, put down the crack, pick up the weed. So he goes, he, he goes into the bookstore, which we find out is the same bookstore that Lana was doing her reading. And but now it's like going out of business, just like most bookstores are right now. And he he said he finds he found out online that this was the only place that had a signed copy of Maniac, the book by his mother. Which, um, by the way, this finally puts to rest my whole like you know theory that it might not actually be him. I was I was expecting another twist, but nope. It is it is for certain that he is the son of Lana Winters. And he couldn't have made that more clear. Um, when he looks at her signature and everything. But um, the interaction there with like the the woman at the bookstore was pretty intriguing just because she was kind of uh, aggressive against him to begin with, which was, I mean... I loved it. I am a woman... I was a woman's studies major. So you had to read that book? Like, that, I don't understand why <laughs> yeah. that book is important to women's studies. And that book changed her, her mom's life and made her leave her dad, like abusive dad or Debbie something. Debbie dad, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so she shows the autograph to Johnny, or, you know, Johnny, and he kind of has like this almost like orgasmic moment looking at this signature. Like he's finally looked his mom in the face, is kind of what it feels like. Or he's gotten closer to her than he has before. And he's planning to meet her. And he says something about her, like, I'm the piece of trash you threw away 48 years ago. So we know. It seems like that she gave him, you know, that one suckle to begin with and then got rid of him. Yep. So, knowing that, um, we had seen that her nursing the baby is some sign of mercy there. Now, do you think, from what you can tell, the way they portrayed that, do you think that um, that was worse for him? Like, he had a taste of it and then it was gone forever, maybe? And that's, like, you know, still I, what's... I don't know, because we've seen this, this is kind of a... Um... Not necessarily a horror movie, but a movie or, or storytelling trope to have, you know, the rejected kid come back and want vengeance on the parents that threw them to the side, you know? I don't really know if it's if it had been better or if, like, this was a genetic thing for him that he was destined to become this messed up bloody face junior or if she had, um, or if it was a, the nurture side, had she cared for him more, maybe he would have come up, grown up to be a regular guy. Right, and maybe he's a product of the system and that foster care system and everything like that. And, you know, always he had had that taste of mother's milk and then was let go and didn't have a mother again. So it's kind of back to that nature versus nurture thing, which is kind of the same thing that seemed to um, 
we didn't know about Threadson really. Yeah. I still felt that whole scene. I like the transition to it. Or So, I mean, this is the fourth section that we have, <coughs> Bloody Face Jr. But it felt, it felt a little weird, a little contrived, a little convenient that, I don't know, that did it really take him 48 years to find someone that had the book. And Sir, it was yeah, really I agree. important to see her signature. Why wasn't he just looking for her for all this time? Well, and he, I mean, maybe he's just really stupid, but he kind of outlines this whole plan to this woman, and he's like, I'm going to show her the book, and yeah. I'm going to be like, I'm in this book, and then I'm going to shoot her with my non-millimeter. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, and whenever people do that in, you know, movies or TV shows, they're like, uh, well, whoever he's telling this to, they're going to, is going to die for sure, which that librarian, or the we, book. We kind of figured maybe she was probably going to anyway, but yeah. yeah. But then also like lying, yeah, like laying out exactly what he's gonna do. It's like, uh-oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the like typical villain is gonna go through his exact and shows you know details, and explain exact why plan. and how, <laughs> especially to someone who couldn't give a shit what happens. Yeah, yeah, she's just pooping her pants right there, just hoping to get out of there. Exactly. Um, and actually, this reminded me of something I do want to note. Last week we were just debating over whether or not that Threadson and Johnny Jr. shared the same apartment. Um, they do, in fact. We had someone, you know, s- someone who had watched the episode multiple times agreed that they share the same apartment. And also, I read, we read an interview with Ryan Murphy that uh, that is the same apartment and that he does, in fact, use his daddy's dungeon. Um, so maybe that's what he used on Adam Levine's wife. Who knows? To but, do his carving. But we... I'm only I can only assume that we're gonna see Johnny Jr. wear the bloody face mask again in episode or in the season finale, don't you think? Sure, yeah. I mean, do we want to go into the uh, what, the the previews for next uh, episode? I do, but I want to. There's a couple things I want to wrap up here. So, I mean, overall take on this episode. I mean, there was a lot of setting up. I feel like what do you again, think? like kind of like last episode, we're we're moving quickly through time. Um, I liked it. A lot because we checked in with where everyone who, well, everyone who's left, uh, where they're at mentally. And we can see that some people, you know, lost it. And some people are really trying to mainly kit, try to move on past this, but while remembering what happened. Um, As far as the stories with the four stories that we follow, I think Jude's was the strongest. And then then Kit's was uh, a close second because I was actually pretty... For once, I was a little scared, like because you could feel the tension in the in the house, and you knew something was. Gonna and you happen, knew something was going to happen. Gonna yeah. Be. So I loved that. Thought that was pretty great. It was a little reminiscent of uh, uh, like an old school horror movie. But anyway, and then Lana's and Bloody Face Juniors were kind of the the just because her character was so over the top uh, bitchy <laughs> that yeah. I, I didn't really like that. But the story structure itself lent it made, made it a lot better for me. So I would give this uh, four. Uh, Rubbermen out of five. Yeah, I mean, we kind of breezed through some deaths of major characters. I mean, we'd already lost Grace once. She'd been dead back, you know, before. So um, we, we went through that. I mean, that happened so fast. And then we lost Pepper, who had been kind of a fun character. What an awful... Yeah, I love her. And I'm so bummed that... I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this after you give your, uh, you give your uh, rating, because... I feel like a lot of the characters that we've lost to death or through death haven't really had a good send-off. Yeah, I agree anyway, with you there. continue, sorry. Um, they certainly haven't had their proper uh, moment of remembrance. Um, so, we, you know, we lost them, and it was a lot of kind of, expos- you know, it, 
It felt it definitely felt like an episode where they were positioning everything for a finale. But I have to say, I'm not sure where this finale is going to go. I think it's going to have to revolve around them getting Jude out of the asylum. Jude out of the um, asylum and um, and Blayface meeting up with his mother. Right, and so that's kind of going to be the, the climax of this this whole season. So we'll. We'll see where that goes, and we'll see. I mean, we might not get any alien answers again, like you said, um, which I don't know. Um, one thing I want to ask you before I give my rating. We had talked about that there was a hint in this episode as to what season three is going to be. Do you have any ideas? I had no idea. <laughs> I, I remember going into it thinking, um, like, okay, I got I to gotta keep my eyes peeled and keep because I didn't know if it would be in the dialogue or if it would be, like, a visual clue. And then, like... <laughs> like three minutes in the tensions building in in the uh kit walker household and i forgot all about it <laughs> so i'm not good to ask about it i know Do you um, have one? i don't have any good theories other than um i don't know the monsignor goes to new york so that's a different location but that's not anything specific um we talk about oh, I, I mean i don't know i don't i don't have a good one i was looking for it too you know um I didn't pick up on anything. If anyone else thinks they saw something that could suggest, apparently the finale has a big reveal for whatever right. the next season is. So I'm sure that'll be a little harder to unravel. But um, yeah, I was looking for it and I don't feel like I saw it either. So who knows? Um, overall, I think I would have to give this episode, I'm going to get a little harsher. I'm going to give it three and a half rubber men out of five, just because like, well, I did like, I thought it was nicely done how they had the separate narratives that were all intertwining a little bit. And so I liked that part, but I agree with you that the Lana narrative, like Lana's undergone such a bizarrely bitchy transition that I don't know necessarily makes sense with her character. And I don't, um, it, it sucks because I've, we've been so invested in her as a person and rooting for her. And now she's this, you know, it's kind of like, well, you suck. You know, I wanted you to make it and and this is what you're doing you're supposed to be the heroine here right and i mean i guess i could also give that score with just kind of trepidation about whatever's going to happen in the finale because i feel like so i mean this is like we said in the last episode this is not how i expected the season to end i expected the season to end with arden's death and with thredson's death but we and end then with finally Eunice's escaping death. yeah yeah i thought that was going to be the big payoff was the escape from briarcliff or the but we've moved forward in time, you know? It's It was a curveball that I didn't see coming. And so it'll be, I mean, I've got big expectations. We'll have to see if they live up, you know? Yeah. Lana's looking pretty good for whatever age she's supposed to be in the previews, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I guess was, na- yeah. Anyway. Excuse me. <laughs> a, w- a weird side note that I remembered. Um, I love that Lana was drinking a tab soda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was very uh, reminiscent of that era. They um, were very much a, a cognizant of the time period. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so about the send-offs, like these deaths that have happened. I mean, Mary Eunice was kind of cool when she got thrown off the thing, but it also, I don't know, it wasn't as dramatic as I kind of wanted someone as big of a character as her. Arden's was okay, but it was, I didn't, the more I thought about it, the more I didn't like that he chose to die when he wanted to. 
I personally, I thought Arden was the it. best. You loved Ar- it. I know. Yeah. Ar- Ar- Arden's was my favorite of all the deaths we've seen so far. I think it was the most appropriate. Just it be was. Like, with the irony of him going into the furnace. I think with like, I kind of understood his whole like innocence being broken and that shattering him because that was like his only last tie to humanity, even though he was such a you know effed up person. I don't know. I thought it was poignant and yeah. I don't know. And then uh, Fredson's was. Pretty quick. I mean, there was a lot of tension in that scene, but to just quickly kill him with a, a shot, it was seemed a little too easy. I don't know because he's such a villain. You know, I, I figured it would be a little more bigger or over the top, but maybe that's just me being brainwashed by you know big horror movies and TV shows that typically do that. No, I agree with you on that one too. The way it happened was not. I mean, obviously there was drama leading up to it, but it, it was like. It was just it, – it wasn't the end of the episode. It was like two-thirds, you know, two three-quarters of the way through the episode, and there was still stuff left at the end. It was just – you expected that to be like the big, end, you know, cliffhanger kind of ending of the episode, and it wasn't. Right. I'm, I'm thinking um, back to season one when our main characters would die. It was pretty dramatic. Even if it happened in the middle of an episode or something, it was still pretty significant uh, – a big, a significant scene. Right. No, it's true. Um we're handling death a lot lighter this season, um, but there's been a lot more of it, you know. Um, there were, you know, it, it, when people died. I mean, people died in the murder house, but I, I they mean, died really I, dramatically. It was all really dramatic, and it was a much bigger deal. Where here it was like people die all the time at Briarcliff. People died all the time from yeah. experiments by Threadson. From I mean, I mean. Yeah, the um, the, I mean, the other disappointing thing is Pepper dying off screen. You know, basically, you know, and she's such a, a popular character that it's kind of a bummer to not have a send off for her, who everyone loved, and them not even explaining why the aliens gave her the you know gift of you know eloquent speech. Exactly, and that was a great point by and some uh, someone on our Facebook wall too was, you know, why go through all the effort to make Pepper smart, basically, and kind of change her just to have her die kind of randomly and and not know anything I mean, about it not see it because really what purpose did she really serve you know she was protecting grace's baby but she didn't even do a great job at that really and she didn't stick around long enough to protect him later on right. i mean i don't know it just it seemed un- unnecessary and i thought there was going to be more done with her than there was um Excuse me. So anyway, I guess let's talk a little bit about our expectations for the finale after watching the the previews. Um, what what do you think? I mean, so we know that uh, Bloody Face Junior Johnny's gonna be tracking down and will be finally facing off with his mother. Uh, <coughs> don't know what that's gonna entail yet, but I'm sure that'll be pretty heavy. Uh, pretty well, heavy scene. He seems to have a pretty clear plan in his head of how it's going to go down. I have a feeling it won't be exactly like that. Right. But... <laughs> right. And then as far as getting Jude out, I have no idea what's going to happen there. You know, I'd love for her to get out, but I still have a feeling in my heart that it's not going to be, you know, a, a completely happy ending for her. Well, and at the same time, she honestly seems crazy now. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, how is she, she going to function in regular society? Right. you got to keep in mind, she's been... I mean, even as a nun, she was kind of in a sheltered environment where there, and some, I mean, there were people kind of taking care of her and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know if she's prepared to survive in the outside world. Um, and then Kit, we just don't even know how he's going to fit, how him and his kids are going to even fit in. You know, right. where where is he at in the 
you know, Johnny Jr. time period. Yeah, maybe Kit and Lana will get together. Yeah, I don't like that. Never mind. Nope. Uh, that one makes sense for Lana's character either. I don't think that's coming. Yeah. Uh, I hope Lana redeems herself from how she was this episode, though. I was not a fan. I think that's coming. I think she's going to make... There's going to be some attempt to save Jude. I just... Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they tie together. I have great expectations, so... Yeah. Um, once again, I want to remind everybody to watch the following up Monday. We will be watching it as well, and we'll see if it's where we're going to go next. Um, once again, you can always email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, and you can leave us reviews at um, uh, on iTunes. And also, you can always go to our website, thisamericanhorrorstory.com. Uh, but until next week, the big fucking finale. Um, I'm Tyler Moss. Where can people find you? I, at TJMoss11 on Twitter. Where can people find you, Chris? I'm on Twitter as well, at Chris Husted with K. Um, also, I think uh, we don't have to do a podcast on it, but I'm curious to hear it when people, because I'm guessing a lot of you guys, listeners, will see Mama this weekend. And they have been promoting the crap out of it. Uh, on commercial for in between all the um, pieces of uh, um, American Horror Story so let let us know if it's worth going don't give us any spoilers though because I hate that but uh, anyway I might try to go see that this weekend Guillermo del Toro man yeah he's great and and the guy who plays Jamie in uh, Game of Thrones too right and um, what's her name Um, uh, she's just won the Golden Globe Uh, Jessica Chastain Oh, I didn't know Jessica Chastain was in there. Yeah, she's the girl in it that looks completely... She looks completely different. Oh, really? Huh. Well, let us know what you think. All right. All right. Until next week, happy hauntings, everybody. See ya. Judy, 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 Bo-Booty, Banana, Fanta, Fo-Foody, Fifa, Mo-Moody. again.